This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by Noble Knight, where Out of Print is available again. And listeners like you, thanks for using The Tome's Amazon and DMs Guild affiliate links, and to our patrons who support us directly at patreon.com slash the tome show. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm Sam Dillon, and in this episode, number 296, we are going to call on our woodland creatures to distract our enemies as we shoot them with a bow or cut them up with two swords at the same time. Uh, Yeah, we're talking about rangers. (laughs) And thank you to Sam for filling in for Tracy in this episode, uh, as well as a couple of other esteemed guests, including a, a regular to the show, as well as a regular writing over at Kobold Press. Uh, and an all-around nice guy, Dan Dillon. Welcome back. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. It's always a blast to be back on the Tome Show. Yeah. And also joining us in this discussion is a writer and game designer uh, of no small skill himself, Brandis Stoddard. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you. Excellent. Well, this is uh, the relaunch of our class series where we examine or are planning on examining each class in depth. We've done a few of them so far. And we ask our Patreon patrons what they prefer. So due to the will of our Patreon patrons, we are talking about the Rangers. Now, if you would like to become a Patreon patron, you can find us at patreon.com slash the Tome Show. But, you know, this is, this is you know, just such a horrible, boring class, right? No, Nobody really even likes Rangers. I mean, especially that Beastmaster one. Right, guys? Right? Right? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before, we're just also, poking, poking the bear here. here. Jeff Greiner wrote this script. Not <laughs> Sam <Dillon>. <laughs> <laughs> what? No. All right. So before we dig into the Ranger, I want to mention our sponsor, Noble Knight. Uh, if you don't know by now, Noble Knight is a great supporter of the show. Uh, and they also happen to be an awesome game store, both in person and online. They specialize in finding out of print products, but also have a strong catalog of new things. Uh, our pick for this episode is the Ranger token set from Gale Force 9. They made a bunch of these sort of customized, specialized token sets back in the 4th edition days. Uh, and, and they've got sort of all these things. If you're playing with a map, if you're playing a Ranger, they've got specialized tokens that they thought might be useful to Rangers. Uh, and so you can, for $12, you can get a whole set of tokens, that, you know, and... You know, one of them you can put under your the, your your mini, and so now you're riding a mount, or you can replace your mini, and now you're invisible, and all these other things that you that that rangers sort of do. Uh, have any of you guys used the the Gale Force Nine tokens? Oh yeah. Uh, no, no, I have not. In fact, used those. No. That sounds uh, that sounds quite interesting, though. Yeah, I mean, some of them are, are pretty specific to, like, the fourth edition of abilities that Rangers had, uh, the Hunter's Mark and that kind of stuff, but some of those continue to be useful as well as we go sure. into other editions. Ranger is um, a class that has gone through changes, but the the basic core of the class has been the same throughout a lot of editions, so I thought that was was a good set to look at for this for this yeah. episode. Yeah, you know those token sets, they also come with a little, uh, almost like a postcard, not postcard size, uh, like uh, almost like credit card size acrylic piece that has mm. felt on the bottom and it's got like a picture of a ranger and you can write in your hit points and the name and 
you know, uh, like hit dice number and stuff like that with a wet or dry erase marker. And, it, and it's a really nice little thing to have just as a nice indicator. So, you know, and if you don't want to keep erasing your, your uh, paper character sheet with your pencil. There you go. Right on. All right, so people can find that over at Noble Knight, and make sure when you when you go and shop there, whether you're buying the Ranger token set or something else, make sure you let them know that the Tome Show sent you, so they know that that, that they want to keep coming back and supporting us. Noble Knight Games has been serving the needs of thousands of gamers worldwide since 1997. Huge selection of over 30,000 unique products, including discounts on most in-print games of up to 50% off or more. Noble Knight Games is the place for out-of-print RPGs, board games, war games, collectible card games, miniatures, and all things game-related. They ship worldwide and will purchase or trade your titles you no longer need, new, or used. Your satisfaction is guaranteed. Just visit www.noblenight.com. Or visit our website for direct access to thousands of new, out-of-print, and in some cases, one-of-a-kind items. All right, and now it's time to to pull back our bow and take aim at the ranger. So, let's start with a a non-mechanically inclined sort of, what is the ranger conversation? Uh, And I want to start with with Brandis, because he's the newcomer. So, Brandis, what's a ranger? So... uh... I've written about the Ranger a good bit at uh, Tribality. It's actually writing about it in my blog is why they recruited me. So mm. um, the Ranger started out in the uh, distant past as uh, an Aragorn clone and really lost most of that over the years in in bits and pieces. Um, now in fifth edition, it has returned mostly to what they were doing in uh, with the class thematically in third edition, um, it is a uh, a damage focused class that is also very good with skills and dabbles in magic on the side, uh, all while having more or less the durability of a fighter. Okay, uh, is very much a jack of all trades class. All right, so so. Dan, what's the story of the ranger? Like, what kind of person is the ranger? Sure. Uh, so thematically, the ranger is... Um, it, it's often likened to how the paladin is sort of a blend of cleric and fighter. Uh, the ranger is a little bit of a blend of druid and fighter. So they're, uh, they're very much a frontiersman. They're a wilderness-focused... Um, I think the, uh, the, the, the buzzword from 4th edition would have been to talk about power sources... And I believe they were considered a primal uh, class. Uh, they, they were they, they, they were martial, but they were they were martial, but they kind of they kind of move in that in, yeah. in the direction of that circle, if that makes sense. That's fair. So they're they're a little bit of a they're a little bit of a hybrid in theme, uh, and you know the Aragorn the Aragorn clone that's a good uh, good way to describe it. Mm-hmm. That's certainly it's deep it's deep distant roots, and it's still there, right? You've got the, the the tracking abilities, the the affinity for various types of terrain that you you know like the back of your hand, and have an almost supernatural um, affinity for moving and and just understanding. So, so Aragorn is the obvious one because Aragorn is the the character for the famous character from the Lord of the Rings who introduces himself as a ranger, right? And so clearly that's where the the term of the uh, the name of the class kind of came from. 
Yeah. Um, and, and I would argue that today, modern sort of D&D fans can also look to, like, Driss Duerden as a an archetype uh, or a stereotype, if you will, of what how a ranger, D&D ranger works. Are there any other sort of uh, touchstones in popular culture that people might consider when they think about, you know, inspiration for rangers that maybe aren't so typical? So I would definitely suggest looking to uh, westerns, actually, mm. and um, mm-hmm. the mountain men to uh, cowboys and uh, you know, U.S. marshals. Uh, I think all of those can be really strong ranger archetypes. Yeah, that's a really great point. I like the, you know, maybe like the kind of the Texas Ranger, the frontiersman uh, type um, touchstone for a for a, a more popular culture feel. I like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, that's interesting because because when I think of of the the frontiersman um, in westerns type of character, um, it's a very different personality than what I consider to be the standard ranger, but in an interesting way. Like now, I kind of want to play that ranger. <laughs> yeah, there's also a touch point of um, Robin Hood type yeah. character, um, yeah, or the almost Peter Pan style, like uh, glides through the woods without making noise and uh, speaks to woodland beings, fae creatures, uh, fairies, pixies, nixies, along with all the regular woodland beasts as well. Depending on how fantastical you want to get with with that, um, but but. Um, an obvious bent toward uh, taking care of the forest and the creatures. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that whole Robin Hood, you know, take from the rich and give to the poor kind of thing is uh, is seen as a benevolent type character, which is uh, on a kind of a different spectrum than the um, than the Western style uh, gunman kind of thing that that you're talking about. But it, but they both strangely, they both kind of match. Right. Mm-hmm. Depending on which mm-hmm. direction. you go. Yeah. <clears throat> Absolutely. So, so uh, I think it was Brandis mentioned that the the ranger may have started in the beginning as a as an Aragorn clone, but it's evolved into its own sort of thing since then. Uh, so, so how has that evolution happened? Like, we're not. I don't. We don't need to dig into the specific, you know, mechanics and all that at this point. But how has the evolution gone for the ranger from first edition through up to fifth edition? Like, how has it changed as a as a thing? I would say that um, maybe ironically, it's a fairly straight line turning from Aragorn into Legolas. Oh, I can see that. Yeah, uh, there's a there's so much more of a Dex focus. Um, it, originally, the Ranger was super strength focused yep. and very much about raw toughness and wielding big weapons and uh, wearing armor because uh, the the original and first edition. Uh, Rangers had no concept of armor restrictions. Hmm. Uh, that just wasn't a thing. They were fighters. They were going to wear armor. Um, and starting in second edition and never looking back thereafter, uh, it was, you know, uh, light armor. You need to be super quick. Uh, certainly by, um, but by third edition, it's Dexter get out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the original, um, the original Ranger was a huge power spike at the time, mm. <laughs> similar mm-hmm. similar to the way the original Bard was. I mean, crazy, crazy talk, just nutso. I don't I don't know what they were thinking, honestly. <laughs> or the, the early um, Paladin was sort of the same way, right? A bit, a bit. Well, yeah. game design had been invented about two years earlier, yeah. so yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yep, yep. Uh, so yeah, they were super unbalanced. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, I, I like that. I like that uh, analogy of saying that they've shifted a little away from Aragorn and more toward Legolas. There's definitely more of a Dex focus. They're definitely a skirmisher as opposed to mm-hmm. like a an in-your-face brick or bruiser type. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I mean, don't get me wrong. You can play a strength ranger. That, that's still a thing. You it's can. Just, you're missing out on a lot of what they're gonna help you do. Yeah. Right. And and just the way things are set up, um, you know, the the fact that they are not heavy armor wearers means that they need dexterity to to maintain their defensive, you know, to to, to not get it pasted, and uh, and so that means even if you're going to use melee weapons, that sort of pigeonholes your choices. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so we've got a touchstone, of sort of 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 what the ranger is envisioned as in terms of their role in the story and and points of inspiration and how it's evolved over the years and whatever. So why should I pick one up and play a ranger? Uh, I know Dan especially is known for being a ranger advocate around the interwebs. Oh, yeah. Um, so so why why should I play a ranger, Dan? Well, it's all going to come down to the play style, right? If you, if you want to do a lighter... Uh, kind of lighter on your feet, quicker, mobile, um, skirmisher type... Uh, they're, but, but stay more to that less fragile, uh, side of things than Ranger is going to be a little bit, uh, more up your alley than say a rogue, um, rogues, you know, they're quick, they're, they're fast. They strike hard when they get a sneak attack on people, but if you get a hold of them, they're going to go down pretty quick. Um, mm-hmm. they're just, they're, they're lacking a little bit in the hit point department. Uh, and then some, and also in the, in armor class, um, Rangers, uh, have some options, uh, particularly, uh, say, hunters, as, as they go up in levels that make them decently defensive. Um, and, and they get a lot, of, uh, a lot of damage kickers to bring to bear as well, uh, depending on which, uh, which subclass you've picked. And then, you know, we, we've talked about that they dabble in magic. I, uh, that, that, that doesn't sit well with me, because in particularly 5th edition, ranger spells are so important to the effectiveness mm. of the class, I, I can't get behind them just being dabblers. I know they're, uh, they're what, a one-third caster level or, mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Uh, they, they get a slower progression. They're not a full caster, but the magic that they do get is very important to their kit, and it, it always makes me pull my hair out when people talk about wanting to play the spellless ranger. I mean, at that point, that is not a simple tweak. You're talking about needing to redesign the entire class from the ground up. Yeah, and that's an interesting point, because I ran into something similar with the Paladin. I hadn't done a really deep dive into the Paladin until we did the episode about it. And and uh, one of the, the people we had on mentioned that for the Paladin as well, because the Paladin's offensive capabilities is so rooted in its ability to do all these smites and those don't live mm-hmm. in the class they live in the spells and if you don't go check out the spells you don't you never notice that yeah if people haven't looked at banishing smite you're you're doing yourself a disservice and you know the the spell casting ability and and the reliance of spell casting for the ranger is also a bit of an evolution um mm-hmm. i mean uh, when you think about the ranger was is sort of uh one of the sort of underpinnings of the class early on was that it was a sort of tough survivalist kind of character. Mm-hmm. Uh, they could survive by themselves as a loner in the woods if they had to. There's only um, been one edition where they didn't have spells, and that was fourth. Right, right. No, no. And 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 that's that's fine. I'm not saying they didn't have spells, but f- for example, if you look at s- what second edition, I think they didn't get access to spells until they were 
eighth late. level or something uh, I like think it was that. Ninth. I think it was ninth it, when they first started uh, yeah. getting them. And yeah. in second edition, if people, if listeners don't know, the XP progression in second edition was so was, stretched compared yeah, to, was, to what you know in, in third, fourth, and fifth edition. Yeah, I mean, it is blinding fast nowadays. Well, I look to, to give an example, uh, I played a second edition campaign for probably two and a half years solid of at least once weekly play, sometimes more. And then it went another maybe two years after that with much more sporadic play. And the highest level person in our party was 13. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. It's, and it's also worth noting that that spe- uh, level progression was weird then anyway, because um, every class cause had every class had a different progression. Yeah. Right. Right. Yep. right. So, yep. but my but my point is that uh, even though they've had spells in pretty much every edition, and and while you say they didn't technically have spells in fourth, they had spell like powers. So right. Uh, T- so they I, would, I would argue everybody had spells yeah. in fourth. Everybody yeah. had spells. <laughs> but, but my point is that it's kind of an evolution that the class relies upon the spell progression as much as the other class features in fifth edition. That's, that's mm-hmm. relatively new mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, in, in the, you know, I mean the, the first Ranger I think was in back in 1975 for OD and D or something. Yep. I think it was in the strategic review or something like that. And it was very rudimentary, but it still had the main sort of thrust of that wooden survivalist axe wielding, you know, powerful dude. Um, and didn't rely on spells as much, even though they were ne- they were technically available uh, at higher levels. I would basically agree with that argument. Um, yeah. My my one addendum is that once you have invisibility, you're serious. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Now that said, um, and I'm curious how how this plays out, Dan. You mentioned that the, the one of the reasons I might want to play a ranger is if I want a sort of a, a mobile skirmisher fighter sort. Um, where is the su- mechanical support for this mobile skirmisher? Because because it's not in the class features. Uh, is that one of the things that that lives in the spells, or is it more of a flavor thing? Uh, it, well, all right. So may, maybe mobile isn't isn't exactly the okay. right word, but they're uh, they're. Um, oh, land stride isn't a joke. Right, land, yo, the land stride. There's the one. Uh, you know, ignoring difficult terrain is a big deal. Mm. Um, being able to just run through underbrush and uh, and not not be hampered by that and and your foes will be that's huge that's true um then the hunter uh, so one one point that i want to make before we get too far into you know ranger identity ranger is a little bit of a oddball class where they have some core class features that that feed into what they do their real identity and role is going to come from their subclass though that that Mm -hmm. changes the rangers flavor maybe more than any other class i can think of just off the top of my head um I don't know if you'd agree with that, uh, uh, Brandis. I would. Uh, I would put Bard up there to the same level of changed identity, mm. but I think you're on a pretty good path with that argument. Right. So if you want to go light, there's uh, there's some of the the abilities in the Hunter um, Ranger archetype that will do things like give you bonus armor class against opportunity attacks, which make you uh, much more easy to to dart in, dart out, that sort of thing. Mm. Yeah, escape the horde is very worth yep. looking at. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and in fifth edition, because movement is so, because you can break it up so easily, mm-hmm. uh, having a class that has that has specialties or features that allows them to avoid that opportunity attack is major in terms of mobility. So mm. even if their technical speed doesn't increase, 
it kind of does in, in feel in theme yeah. It does. yeah and, and, um, maybe, and maybe to head off a possible argument i know people are going to say but rogues get cunning action and right. then they can just disengage i was about to say that yes <laughs> right so the, the issue there is is cunning action requires your bonus action rangers particularly if you're going to be a two-weapon fighter must you must have their bonus action available to make their fighting style work so if you talk about an ability that eats the bonus action to allow you to be mobile you're sacrificing that offensive capability well, so that's here's where the swashbuckler um, sure. and other later subclasses that really get to mess with the action economy on mm-hmm. disengaging. Yes, uh, certainly. Um, and then, but then the trade-off there is they don't get two weapon fighting style. Um, <clears throat> and Fair. Does. And that uh, that's that's a pretty big boost. So there's a there's a little bit of, of mobile mobileishness in the ranger yeah. to give that that flavor, and it doesn't take anything away from the you know it, it is possible for us to say that you know monks and rogues are also have the the mobile skirmisher ability uh, in different ways, uh, mechanically represented as well, and that doesn't take away from any of the other classes like ranger. Oh, no, absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. three different you know striker classes. They should all be. Moving fast and hitting hard—that's mm-hmm. right. Absolutely, their role. Yep. And so, then you know, as opposed to say the the rogue sneak attack, the ranger supplements their damage with things like hunter's mark and um, colossus slayer. Okay. So let's. You've we've alluded to some of the the key features of what makes a ranger a ranger mechanically. So let's let's run through some of those. Uh, in my mind, sort of the key ranger feature. Um, not because it's the thing that um, is used necessarily even the most, but the thing that that in my mind um, identifies the mechanics of the ranger in like every edition of the ranger is the concept of the favorite enemy. Um, mm-hmm. So so that's sort of whether it, it comes into play a lot or not kind of depends on the story that you're playing. But the the concept of the favorite enemy is is iconic ranger, and it's the idea like you can't make a ranger in any edition. If it doesn't have favorite enemy in my mind, it's something else. Then, um, you know. Well, so so I guess uh, uh, fourth is out for you. Does, but, did did uh, fourth not have any favorite enemies? Not that I recall. Oh, I thought I had a ranger. Mark, I had a ranger, ranger, ranger mark in my party. I thought he did. Turned anyone into your favorite enemy, but okay. there was nothing branded as favorite enemy. Okay. My issue with favorite enemy has always been that it turns the ranger into a walking hate crime. <laughs> that doesn't sit super good with me. Yeah, sure. That's that's an issue. Well, I, I will point out that um, so favorite enemy in fifth edition is not a combat uh, tier ability or combat pillar ability. Right. Um, it does not give you bonuses to hit, bonuses to damage, any of that stuff anymore. It gives you bonuses to tracking your your favorite enemies, and it gives you um, it gives you advantage on. Uh, recalling information uh, about them, and it gives you a language so you can communicate with them. So Ranger has, in in a really interesting way, kind of stepped into that guy who knows stuff about stuff uh, sort of niche that mm-hmm. the Bard used to occupy by the by the the virtue of their Bardic knowledge feature, mm-hmm. uh, which they don't have in Fifth Edition. So Ranger is now the guy that you go to. You're like, oh crap, what is that thing? Well, the Ranger is the guy who's going to be able to know what it is, know its customs, talk to it, maybe circumvent a fight, right, mm-hmm. uh, and, and give you the information that you need if it does come to a fight to to give you the advantage. Yeah, and this is one of the areas where like the old concept of favorite enemy in my mind played really well into the the nature warrior sort of um, concept. 
mm-hmm. of the Ranger, and and the fifth edition Ranger for, for all of its its um, you know strengths and flaws, um, it it feels like there's a lot of mechanical things that don't necessarily play into that concept. Uh, and and in the past there were there were as well. That's not this isn't unique to fifth edition. But favorite enemy is one of those that I feel like as much as yes, it it, it is sort of the mechanic of a walking hate crime, as Brandis points out. Um, it, it, it also felt like it tied into that nature warrior thing. Like they've learned their enemy so well that they're they're an expert at hunting that thing. Like a, like a, a hunter today might become an expert at hunting deer but be useless in hunting quail, right? Uh, or what have you, right? So, so they're an expert at hunting goblins but they're not as good at hunting these other things. Um, now the favorite enemy almost feels like uh, it's tying into a different concept a different archetype of the wanderer who who experiences yes. and ex- is exposed to all these different things and has learned the cultures and the languages and what have you and i i think actually that go, that's more in line with the initial ranger conception than favorite enemy because i think favored species was the second edition and mm. then favored enemy was third and 3.5 and i don't really think there was a true favored enemy that was uh, specific to rangers before that. I think before that, each race had like certain, mm. like dwar- uh, dwarves had, you know, ability. There was definitely some. Let me let me expand on that. Um, so there was a whole group of things that were called giant class creatures, which mm-hmm. had nothing to do with being large. Right. It was all of the uh, all of the humanoids that aren't human, elf, dwarf, you know, player races. So we're talking right. everything from kobolds to cloud giants. Hmm. If it's remotely humanoid in shape and not a player race, uh, they got a massive uh, damage bonus against it, I believe. It's either attack or damage. But it, oh, was, it was damage. It was a very serious bonus, um, especially in an edition that did not hand out big damage bonuses. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yep. No. Yeah. In second edition, the Rangers absolutely got bonuses against certain mm-hmm. classes of creatures. Mm-hmm. And I'm taking it all the way back to uh, the the 1975 here. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, f- favorite enemy is is one of those interesting ones. Like it's iconic to what a ranger is, but the story of favorite enemy feels different to me now. Although, in many ways. It feels more Aragornish again, right? Because he was a wanderer as well, not a specialized hunter who was really good at killing orcs, you know. But he yeah. he was at home in so many different cultures and places and whatever. So he kind of it kind of feels like that. Yeah. And now that we're getting into some of the mechanics of the features, I do want to to make sure that I hit that point when I talk about what a ranger is and and kind of what the niche is. I know that we we talked about combat with the whole mobile skirmisher thing. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing that is a ranger and and my buddy Skyler who unfortunately couldn't be with us he'd he'd put this a little better than I do but uh, the ranger is sort of the quintessential scout and by scout I don't just mean sneaking ahead to see what monsters are up there I mean that as part of it but uh, so part of it is being stealthy but also being uh, knowledgeable and able to gather intelligence on what's up ahead and report that back so you can use it to your advantage and that is where the ranger really starts to shine with things like uh, the, the, the tracking bonus as they get from uh, from Natural Explorer, with the uh, the languages and the um, tracking advantage and uh, intelligence advantage to recall mm-hmm. information from favorite enemy, uh, and then some of the, the particularly the Beastmaster subclass has options that feed into that and make you incredibly good at stealth and counter stealth. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, it's almost um, 
a very different. It's it's got sort of a an, an assassiny sort of thing, right? But it's obviously plays completely differently. It, yeah, but it plays completely differently. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But but it's about knowing your enemy and doing that, doing the research, and you know, um, yeah. not getting your yourself in over your head. Yep. Okay. So the other thing that I feel like is really iconic mechanically to the um, to the ranger is the different fighting styles. Uh, and fifth edition, correct me if I'm wrong, adds in some different fighting styles than we're used to seeing in previous editions of the ranger. Um, you could definitely argue dueling bit, yeah. is different. Yeah, I mean. <clears throat> Yeah, dueling. Yeah, dueling is a big one there. Dueling feels new, and, and and I don't know that I ever saw anybody really do the defense thing. Right? It usually goes archery or two weapon fighting, in my experience. Sure, sure. Um, I I still really wish that there were support within the class for great weapon or uh, protection style, mm. uh, because Andrew Flame of the West is a two hander. That's why. <laughs> it's because it, it's iconic that way, huh? Now, see, would it be a two hander, or would it have been would it have been considered? Um, mechanically in 5th edition, a longsword, a versatile weapon. Uh, look, Vigo fights with it two-handed for sure. Uh, whether it, <laughs> it should be versatile or not. Uh, I, mean, know, I, know, I know he does put two hands on it, but I thought I recall him occasionally fighting with one as well. Um, <laughs> are we assuming that the movies are canon? Uh, support <laughs> fighting with a uh, long spear because boar hunting. You know, these oh, are yeah. not important things in real life, these are important things in my head. Let's, right. Let's be honest. Right. The larger point being is that the fighting style is, choice is a place where the ranger gets to sort of specialize in what they do and how they do it. Uh, so if you wanted to do a, a ranger who was out there with a bow and arrow and that was their primary thing, if you wanted to do the um, – the you know Legolas is the iconic archer, or even Robin Hood to a degree, and and the one who's who's good enough to to shoot the the rope of the noose off of your your friend who's on up on the gallows, uh, sort of archer. <laughs> that that's that's the fighting yes. style you go with, right? Uh, also, very much the uh, Natty Bumpo, though of course he's using the um, long rifle. It's right. just updated. You know, a couple centuries. Sure. And if I could just, <laughs> just throw my own annotation in there, archery fighting style is borderline cheating. <laughs> I would totally agree with that, especially when you get into the sharpshooter feet. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then the other one, that, to my mind, that's iconic that people will think about is, of course, the two-weapon fighting. Uh, and and uh, I think we have Driss to blame for a lot of that. I mean, no, no, no. no? Uh, Drist, Drist arose from an age where the Ranger class already exists and that existed in Second Edition, and that was their big thing. Oh, I right. Mean, but I felt I feel like Drist made it iconic. Oh, uh, yeah, I suppose. I mean, he's easily the most well-known D and D Ranger, so uh, you can definitely point a lot of the visibility of the Ranger class to him, which is amusing to me since the the stati- the statted Fifth Edition versions we've seen uh, by Chris Perkins aren't. Rangers, <laughs> they're champion <laughs> fighters. Oh, yeah. But um, but yeah, no, no. Drist certainly uh, threw the the two weapon thing into the spotlight for mm-hmm, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other two, which are the defense and the dueling. Defense of which gives you a, a little bump to AC, of course, and dueling where you yep. you do a little more damage when you're you when you're one handing a weapon with your other hand empty, which feels. Weird Not necessarily empty, just as long as you don't have a weapon in the other hand, so you yep, can use that, that weapon that and shield. Okay, but yep. re- but regardless, that feels weird to me um, because I'm not like 
I'm not opposed to the idea of duelists, but what the hell does that have to do with rangers? I think you're you're focusing just a little too much on the word duelist. Um, it, all it means, like they could have called it one-handed style, and mm-hmm. it would mean the same thing. Uh, um, it's also good if you're interested in grappling with that offhand. Yep. Uh, yeah, I'm just still not sure what it has to do with ranger. <laughs> I mean, they're they're a marsh. They're, they're they're a fighter class. They're good with weapons, and they have so a, just a fighter specialty. Well, it's the it's the Errol Flynn swashbuckler jumping around and swinging on a rope and still being able to use a, a rapier. Yep. Yeah, I, do I, what, what, I don't I don't know that I would call that swashbuckler the trope uh, a rangery sort of or uh, Robin Hood Prince of Thieves. So. If we're talking Robin yeah. Hood, right? Right. I mean, but you, yeah. but that's the you know that's the the type of that is an iconic sort of character yeah, who I is just, a warrior slash fighter who falls mostly into the ranger subtype idea if you think about it as a dex-based item. I mean, I'm just saying, like, I understand it doesn't mesh with your, like, (laughs) iconic conception of a ranger, but it definitely, I think, fight, you know, it fits with some conception of a ranger. I think it fits just fine, actually. Yeah, I think it fits. I I think dueling... The name aside, because people think you know half capes and 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 right, rapiers, right. <laughs> uh, that that is misleading. It's it's just as much battle axe and shield, or you know mm-hmm. what else. And and I you know I've seen rangers run around with an axe in one hand and a shield in the other. And mm-hmm. So that I don't know. Yeah, I I don't have that disconnect. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, it's if just, half capes and rapiers are wrong. I don't want to be right. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I get I get the concept of the of the swashbuckler archetype. I just wouldn't put the swashbuckler into a ranger build. I yeah, think I'd probably I'm not go even, rogue not even, or something. I'm not even I'm not even talking about swashbuckler. No, but although, Sam <laughs> yeah, sure. There there is an element of that that I I, I, I feel you on because we we, we were talking. Brandis mentioned earlier. It's it's go decks or go home a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hate. The idea, the the image in my mind of dual wielding rapiers. I know it's a thing, and you can show me manuscripts from Florence where people did it or whatever. I don't care. It's weird in my head. It doesn't leave a good taste in uh-huh. my mouth. I don't like it. But the most mechanically optimal thing to do if you're gonna if you're gonna go two weapon fighting is two freaking rapiers in the dual in the in the uh, dual wielder feet. Mm. <laughs> okay, so so and it's all and it's also one of those like. This is one of the classic fighter, uh, or not fighter, uh, ranger abilities that has more to do with its fightery nature than its naturey nature, right? So, yeah. It, it, in terms of being a nature warrior, this is a a warrior piece, not a nature piece. So, sure. Uh, and one thing I will point out is people like to uh, grouse that oh, anyone can two weapon fight in fifth edition. You know why it's not even a ranger thing anymore? Yeah, okay, anyone can do it, but nobody is as good at it as a ranger, except for fighters, mm. because they're the only two classes that get the two weapon fighting style, which allows them to add their uh, ability modifier to damage with their bonus action attack. Yeah, yeah. The, the only other class where I chase two weapon fighting is uh, rogues, just for the. Um, Extra assurance of landing sneak attack every round. Yep, mm. yep. You can do that as a as a, as an insurance policy to make sure you you blow somebody's head off. But uh, <laughs> but then then you're running into your other rogue oh. iconic, which is the cunning action, which they yeah, need to yep. get out of dodge. So right, right off. For sure. <clears throat> yeah, and then and then the ranger has a bunch of stuff that uh, we talked about. Some of these things like like the fighting style, which is more 
more the warrior side of the nature warrior. There is a bunch of stuff that's just the nature part of the nature warrior too, right? The natural mm-hmm. explorer and and yep. to some degree the land stride and the hide in plain sight and the vanish and the feral senses and the primeval awareness. These are all uh, abilities that the ranger has that has more to do with with playing up mechanically the the naturey part of the ranger that that they, that they can camouflage themselves that they can they can track and they can forage in the wilderness and they never get lost and and all those kinds of things definitely play yep. into the naturey part. Yes, absolutely. So uh, I definitely think that primeval awareness uh, because it's a place to dump spell slots is. A big part of why people do come away with a bad taste in their mouths about Ranger, mm. because uh, you've literally just finished reading Paladin. Yeah. Uh, those those don't juxtapose well, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Paladin, uh, I mean, it's just, it's Paladin, you look at somebody who's got everything. Um, <laughs> but uh, Rangers do get some short shrift on the magic end of things. Uh, I, I love a lot of what they have magic-wise, but a lot of my complaints of the Ranger do center around its spellcasting, and like Brandis just said, Primeval Awareness is a way to uh, alternate use for that spell juice. Um, yeah, it does not stack up well against Smite, <laughs> against Divine Smite. Sure. And for, for those and, who... And, and, and frankly, pri- Primeval Awareness uh, feels to me like they just wanted one more thing to be able to say that the that the Ranger gets, but it's actually not that great. I mean, it, <laughs> the trade-off isn't good. It's, it's not that great. Um, I like some of the utility that's in it and i will say that i have found it in practice to be more useful than i read than i felt it would be on paper hmm. um so so i got i got more use out of it uh playing a ranger than i thought i would so yeah I'll i mean I, I'm, it's much much like the the favorite enemy right the primeval the usefulness of primeval awareness will depend entirely on the story that's happening at your table right yeah um so the and for those who don't know because that's the whole idea we're supposed to be going through this the primeval awareness ability is one that allows the ranger to use um a a spell slot in order to sort of spread their their awareness out to an area in in the wilderness that they're in up to several miles uh and detect the presence of different types of creatures right is it just your favorite enemy types of creatures no no, no. It's, it's, uh, so it's, players yeah player's handbook primeval awareness is a big list that tells you whether it's yeah. present or not within one mile or six if you're in your favorite train and it's aberrations celestials dragons elementals fey fiends and undead yeah right. so so i mean the idea of hey we're out here in the wilderness or whatever let me reach out for six miles and i can tell you if there's any dragons or you know what kind of things are out here that might be problematic to us um that that could be useful in telling but um, but i can't tell you exactly what direction they're in or how yeah, many there are that's weird right. to me that's too. that's the problem that i have with it so, yeah. so right. my issue with primeval awareness is actually thinking as a dm um i have to answer the question before i've rolled on the um random encounter table <laughs> well yeah you have to think about what's like, that's why i never use random encounters until i roll it Sure. <laughs> well, you have to you have to think about okay, what's on the table? If it's on the table, and you have a six mile radius, probably just go ahead and say yes because there's the chance they'll run into it. Right. Um, I will say that that six mile radius is a problem uh, for what Sam just pointed out because you don't get any sort of locational information on them. Uh-huh. Uh, when you're only dealing with one mile, that's actually pretty reasonable um, because say you're about to go into a dungeon, the ranger cracks off primeval awareness and says, okay, I'm detecting elementals and fiends. 
Um, for instance, your cleric knows that there are no undead in that dungeon, right? Because mm-hmm. he can sense that there are no undead within a mile. So, uh, so as a tactical interest, that cleric doesn't have to worry about maybe holding back some channel divinity to turn undead. They can mm-hmm. use it for their, uh, their domain options. Mm-hmm. And uh, part, of, that- part of me wants to make primeval awareness less mystical, <laughs> too. A little bit less mystical, a little bit more of like the ranger is looking around the area and looking at the telltale signs of the kinds of creatures that have wandered through this area in the last, you know, several months or whatever. Right, right. Uh, yeah. See, that that's what a little bit of a stretch. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, but then, then they would know the location it, and number. So. Right, then they would know maybe what direction they were traveling in and possibly how big of a group it was. Is it a family group? Is it a tribe? Is it an alone whatever it is, you know? Mm-hmm. And, well, that would be uh, – that's pretty much exactly what uh, – uh, natural explorer does with your favorite terrains, but but yeah, I get your I get your issue with it. Right. But that's why that's why I have an issue because then you have a second thing that can do it kind of better. Yeah, so yeah, you know, yeah, that's all. Well, but that see that one. I think the idea is you can use primeval awareness to get sort of a a, a large scale overview of what's around, and then you rely on your tracking. And, you and if you're in if you're it. and if you're in your favorite terrain, uh, then the the expanded information you get from that uh, once you start narrowing down. Yeah, and the uh, I, th- I think that's the idea. I don't think the execution comes off that well. And the and the the idea of the favorite train that we've mentioned multiple times is something that comes around through the natural explorer ability that you get at the beginning yes. of the class, uh, where yes. you choose your your favorite terrain, and that's the area where you're really good at like foraging and tracking and and doing all those things. And yeah, traveling. Yeah, um, God, the, <laughs> we we started keeping track of how many times someone in our game said, "Man, I wish we had a ranger." Every time we had to cut our travel <laughs> speed because we were going through the woods. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and speaking of not having to cut your speed, uh, the, you mentioned earlier the the idea of the land stride, which is the ranger ability at eighth level that allows them to sort of ignore a lot of that difficult terrain themselves, um, which can be super useful. And it includes things like um, you know magical entangle and and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, they have advantage on saving throws against magically manipulated plants that are trying to get in their way and muck right. them up. So that's that's kind of kind of a, a useful ability of the ranger as well. That adds that mobility piece that we talked about earlier. Yep. Uh, so so let's go ahead and get into. I think uh, we've hit the the high points of the ranger's class features. But as you mentioned earlier, Dan, um, mm-hmm. a lot of the a lot of the meat of the ranger lives in the archetypes, uh, which is is interesting to me. I, the ranger as a whole is a class that like does not take up a lot of page count. Uh, on, on one hand, it does yeah. not have a, a the bevy of options that some other classes have, which is maybe why some people are a little bit down on them. Uh, it does not have uh, the, the level of complexity that you need just pages and pages to explain. Um, it's a pretty straightforward class. I mean, three pages total all, pretty much. Uh, I think five, five, but that includes all well, archetypes but, yeah. and everything. Yep. Well, and that and that includes a lot of the the fluff. I'm just I'm just yeah. looking at the mechanics. The mechanics, start yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and yeah. it's like a, basically three pages. The archetypes take, much, up, yeah. take up a column each, basically. Right. Yep, one page, one page for both archetypes. Right, <clears throat> and so you have two archetypes. You have the hunter archetype, which, uh, to my mind, is sort of the archetype you choose when you want to sort of specialize and become a becoming a better ranger than just the, the core ranger you want to be better at certain things you want to be better at um uh, at, at killing big things or better at killing hordes of things or you want to be better with a bow or better with your 
two weapon fighting or whatever, um, this is the where you can get some of those options. And again, it's not a ton. There's like three options in terms of uh, the area that they call hunter's prey, which is either make you good at at sort of bleeding something out, make you good at killing big things, or make you good at killing lots of things, right? Um, right. There's three options for defensive tactics. There's two options for adding multi, multi-attack multi abilities. There's three options for uh, more defensive stuff. Um, so not a ton of options uh, all in all, but, but enough that you can kind of tweak your ranger and do some interesting things with it. Yeah, enough but, that there's a lot of combo potential. Mm. The hunter can easily be, you know, uh, like twelve different subclasses. Right. You don't. There, there are basically no other subclasses, other than arguably the battlemaster, that have that level of internal customization. Mm. Correct. Yeah. Now, would yeah, you, so hunter, hunter in a nutshell is basically the you're going to be the ranger who fights stuff with weapons. Then you're going to be a hunter, and you're going to be real mm. good at it. And in some ways, the hunter in my mind is. The easier one to run, oh, agreed. Ish, I mean, it's easier in that <laughs> the other one has an, an animal companion, so you're basically dealing with a whole second character to run at the table. Hunter uh, is uh, definitely simpler and easier. Well, on the other hand, the hunter has because of it has the more customization. It also has like more smaller fiddly bits. You have to remember that you can do. Um, which oh, is, I would say that Beastmaster really sort of uh, plays his cards close to the chest on. The, the right way to approach it. Yes. Mm. As Dan has uh, had to explain literally thousands of times, <laughs> uh, like Beastmaster can work, but boy, is that text not going to show you how. Mm. Exactly. That's that's the Beastmaster's biggest sin is its presentation is very bad. Um, well, and the Beastmaster it, it doesn't requires... have the options, right? The Hunter has, you know, you mentioned 12 different ways you can build a well, Hunter. The Beastmaster has, has it, it functions one way and then has one area where there's tons of options, and that is correct. what's your Beast? And those, and those options are crucial. Those options will either make or break your entire character. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and then not the entire character. You're still a functional Ranger without it, but, I mean, it will make or break your entire subclass for sure. And so, and so, everybody needs to choose Flying Snake, right, Dan? That is certainly a solid one. <laughs> I believe I believe that was the option you presented in a recent com- uh, a re- previous conversation that we had on the roundtable. I think maybe with James. That one, yeah, uh, yeah definitely talked about. Uh, basically, any of the serpents, they're going to be <laughs> they're going to be a real solid go to. The uh, the Flying Snake and the Giant Poisonous Snake are, uh, are easily, I think, the two strongest uh, beast options. Which is also game. weird to me because those are not the iconic. Um, Nature warrior. I would, so I would say the iconic is wolf, and wolf is also right up there. Okay. Yeah. Not not um, not astral panther. Not astral <laughs> panther so much. No. Okay. No. <laughs> if I guess if we're calling that an icon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I actually uh, listened to that episode uh, just a couple days ago to sort of prepare for this one. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, yep, that. Boy, those options are just full of traps, and then there's a couple of secret, really good ones. There's there's a there's a good handful of decent ones, uh, a couple of just really good ones, and but man, it's just uh, please please don't take anything challenge rating zero and then complain to me that your class is bad, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so so You're starting Dan, with a challenge that's, that's rating zero. That's not what zero. I'm supposed to do. So so Dan. Yeah. This, this is the reason you were invited onto this episode. 
Oh boy. So, <laughs> because I know you are a specialist <laughs> in selling people on Beastmasters, and you say that it's not presented well in the book, that they don't yeah. make it clear how to do it well. So, so, right. so teach us, oh master, how do I make well, a Beastmaster? And do first well, of all, do it well? uh, I don't know how long you guys want to get into this because <laughs> about thirteen <laughs> like, minutes max. You know, uh, thirteen minutes max. All right. So, so <laughs> like you said, we did an episode on this on the roundtable, and even in that entire episode, focused just on how to do a Beastmaster right well effectively uh we still couldn't hit everything <laughs> so um the the main point the, the biggest issue with beastmaster is you have to do a lot of leg work you have to do more leg work than any other class you know it, with the exception of full spellcasters but even at, at the given level where you get it i think the beastmaster is more you have to break out an entire different book you've got to get the monster manual if you just use the beasts that are in the appendix in the player's handbook uh, that has very restricted restricted options. There's a couple good ones, but the best ones aren't there. Uh, you really need to get into the Beast Appendix at the back of the Monster Manual, and you have to go through and you have to read. I cannot stress this enough. Read Ranger's Companion, please. Every word of it, all the way to the end. If anything isn't clear, maybe read it again. Maybe get on your favorite internet site where people talk about D&D and ask some questions. Um I'm sure you that Dan to, would be take, happy to answer your questions on the, I would be, the I D&D 5th edition Facebook group where he's only addressed this 15 times a day. I would be absolutely <laughs> delighted to answer any questions anyone has on Ranger, however you want to get a hold of me. On the Facebook group, just send me a message on Facebook, get me a Twitter. We'll, any, yeah, yeah, I'm happy to talk Ranger anytime. Um, so what you have to do is you have to look at how the beast looks after you apply the bonuses that Ranger's companion gives it. The big thing there is you get to add the Ranger's proficiency bonus to a bunch of stuff that the beast does. And that is where it shifts, you know, everybody complains, oh, it's just a CR one-quarter monster. Yeah, but when you throw plus two on a bunch of things that it can do, that really elevates it. Hmm. That so, AC picker is not a joke. That AC is nuts, yeah, it's great. Like, like the giant poisonous snake, its to hit bonus goes up to plus eight at third level, which is going to rival the Ranger's. Uh, and its AC is um, 16, I think, at that point. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's decent, right? If you have a giant crab, its AC is 17. That That's as good as a fighter wearing splint mail. Okay. So, so uh, what are the... Now, we've talked... Uh, what is it? Giant snake. We've talked uh, flying snake. You talked mm-hmm. about the wolf being decent. Uh, and yep. the wolf adds the, the what, the pack tactics uh, bonus there Yeah, wolf, as well. wolf's going to have pack tactics. It has a little less in the raw stats because for some reason the serpents love to have uh, 18 dexterity. So that, that just, <laughs> that, that's just a solid foundation to build a castle to kill people <laughs> with poison. <laughs> um, but the wolf, uh, the wolf has pack tactics, so it gets to add an advantage on its attack rolls if you're fighting alongside it, which chances are you, you know, chances are good you are, um, and that's that's huge. And then the knockdown, even though people are going to complain, it's only DC ten or eleven. Um, I, I don't know if you've looked at saving throw bonuses of monsters. The vast majority of them have no saving throw proficiency. Right, so right. you're just making, you know, you, you're you're getting like what a, a 20, 30, 40 percent chance. That, that this this giant thing is going to get knocked over by this wolf, and then everybody gets advantage to wail on it. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of my favorite things about the wolf is, I mentioned this before about stealth and counter-stealth, the wolf can easily have some of the best passive perception available. Uh, when you pick it up at level 3, and you, then you account for its keen senses, it has a passive perception of 20. Hmm. 
which you know that that now sets the DC for monsters to ambush your party right. at twenty. So the wolf is on watch every night, every every shift. Hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> it can you know, sleep. It can sleep in the wagon during the day. Yeah, the snakes and the insects and arachnids—they have blind sight. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Uh, so let's imagine. So th- those are your what three favorites out of the monster manual? Sure, we'll go with that. Okay. Are there others that we should be? Considering? Oh yeah, well, there's there, there's a ton, man. Uh, so the 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 two the two serpents, the flying snake, the giant poisonous snake are great. Wolf is great. Uh, Panther is excellent for stealth. It has a climb speed. Um, it gets that extra that extra pounce ability where it can charge at people and then bite them as a bonus action. Um, giant wolf spider has good poison, uh, great senses, uh, climb speed as well. Um, giant crab has two claws that grapple people if it hits, and it has the highest armor class available of any beast companion after you add the ranger bonuses. Uh, and you know, it starts at AC seventeen. That's that ain't bad. So be really um, prepared to, to invest in the Beast Companion if you're going to go Beastmaster. Which, I mean, if you're going to go Beastmaster, you probably should. Right, um, probably, yeah, that's going to be your plan, I would hope. But, but, <laughs> uh, but, giant frog but restrains it, things. That's, so, that's amazing. It's so easy, I think, to, to choose the Beastmaster because you like the idea of the Companion, but not want to invest too heavily because, you know, there's a risk that they die. And then, and then you've invested in something that, that didn't last, right? Yeah, but then you get another one. <laughs> True, and you get to invest all over again, right? Uh, so, so imagine, imagine you're at my table, and I happen to own Tome of Beasts. Uh, sure. What awesome option does that provide me? Oh man, I'm actually going to have to look because uh, you got It's got to be beast type, and it's got to be CR one quarter uh, or less. See, I, was cer- I was certain you of all people would have already done that. I, that you know, I, I actually have, uh, but it's been a long time, unfortunately. Okay. And there aren't that many um, that are yeah. uh, either CR one quarter or less, or also medium or smaller. Because mm-hmm. that's, and yeah, I'm not a huge fan of this, but there's the size restriction on. Um, uh, on Rangers Companions, they can't be large. Uh, which so I can't gets get a dinosaur. Those. You can get a dinosaur. Um, a small horse is really horse, that, horse that is the hurts. And locking out the giant owl hurts. Mm. <sighs> giant owl, oh man, yeah, giant owl. Um, uh, <laughs> the giant owl horse. Um, there's a couple. Yeah, a couple other ones uh, that are that are a little upsetting that you can't use it. Uh, it, it it's weird that small beast masters can take a, a companion that's great for them to ride, but medium Beastmasters can't. Right. Um, because uh, let me tell you, a small Beastmaster with mounted combatant feet, like riding their wolf, oh. So, so what you're telling me is that if I have to make a Beastmaster Ranger, I need to be a halfling. Hell yeah. <laughs> we, we just, we recently finished, recently, God, we finished in August, ugh, uh, it, our uh, Out of the Abyss campaign, and we had a stout halfling who rode a, um, a giant wolf spider. And it was amazingly effective. Yeah, but well, what about spider even more because they can climb? What was that, Brandis? What about the iconic mule companion? That's everyone wants to, wants to have a mule companion. <laughs> God, the freaking revised ranger man. <laughs> that you, you know, I will say one thing about having a set list of companions that removes the need for you to dig through the book and figure out what your stuff is going to look like. But oh my God, that list. <laughs> okay. So, so we've talked a lot about um, how to make a decent ranger, uh, even though I never really asked how yet how, how to make an optimized sort of ranger. We've kind of hinted at that pretty well and hinted at the yeah. options that, that are available. 
But let's flip this around back to, you know, we started with a more uh, more story-focused and then went mechanical. Let's go sure. back to the story and say, okay, I've made a ranger then. How do I play it? How, how, what are your tips for doing a good job of playing a ranger, not just mechanically, but as a character at the table? Brandis, why don't you take this one? <laughs> uh, well, sure. Start by going and reading a bunch of James Fenimore Cooper. Yeah. Um, that, that's a really good start, uh, unless you need text that's easy to get through, in which, in which case, don't read James Fenimore Cooper. <laughs> um, that's just a thought. Um, so... Uh, I think that there's a lot of mystique to play into around um, the the class's excellence at stealth, uh, and especially wilderness stealth. Um, that's certainly a big part of Aragorn's mystique. Uh, it's why they call him Strider, for crying out loud. Um, and just sort of, uh, you disappear, something way over there dies, and... It's and you're back fine. You went and retaliated first in the, you know, famous words, right? Yeah. Um, I think that um, if if your party is going to be okay with that, because it is you know taking a bunch of spotlight time, hmm. uh, then it can really really play into the character mystique. Um, but stealth gameplay is complicated in team environments anyway yeah, um, and it's it's interesting because you talk about the sort of um, mystique and and there's sort of i think this stereotype whether you go with the really interesting cowboy idea that you mentioned earlier uh or the more uh robin hoodie aragorn type uh a stereotype for a ranger um there's definitely not just a mystique but almost a a gruff loneriness to the stereotype of how to role play a ranger um and i think there's an element of that that you can absolutely embrace and do uh, and and play into that stereotype because and the class sort of supports that mechanically to some degree as well um but also bearing in mind of course that this is not a novel or a movie or whatever yes. this, this is a game uh where where you there is some spotlight sharing that needs to take place and you can be gruff and mysterious but that doesn't mean you're you're a jerk to your fellow players, you know. For sure, right. for sure. I, I would never advocate being a jerk to your fellow players. Nothing can give you the right to ruin someone else's fun at the table. Right there, you go. Um, um, I, would, I would argue actually that uh, the, the course of the story of Lord of the Rings is uh, Aragorn realizing that he used charisma as a dump stat and starting to solve that. <laughs> <laughs> I have to think through that and see if that plays out. But <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, so one thing I would add to that is uh, talk to your DM about what sort of campaign you're going to be playing. Uh, I mean, are you going to be playing a game that's going to be about wars with the orc tribes? Are you going to be playing a game that's set in you know a desert kingdom? Talk about the things that you'll be facing and the areas that you'll be in to make some uh, thematic, which will then transfer into useful selections for your things like favorite enemy and natural explorer favorite and, terrain. And that's an interesting point as well. Not uh, because like I don't necessarily want to talk to my DM and say, "Hey, what kind of things are we going to be fighting? I want to optimize my ranger." But I do want to say, "Hey, what kind of campaign are you telling?" "Oh, it's it's a right. it's a war with the orc king." 
Um, I want a character that has a motivation to be there. Correct. And that's why I choose that favorite enemy, not exactly. because I want to optimize it, but because I want to I want to make my character part of the story. Right. If you just randomly pick mountains and then you're playing a seafaring campaign, I mean, come on. What, what's going on there? That's not fun, yeah. yeah. <laughs> optimization <laughs> I mean, that's aside, that's just not fun. Right. It, it, it makes no sense. It's not fun. It's not going to play. You're, you're not going to be able to play into the mystique of, you know, being a, a mountain expert, right? If you're a Goliath Ranger who came down from the, you know, 30,000 foot summits and now you're on a, you're on a ship, right? Mm. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, definitely talk to your DM about what sort of game you're going to be playing. DMs, don't hide this information from your players. Come on. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, uh, DMs should be should be having that conversation. You don't want to reveal the story to the player so much as tell the story with them. So, so t- talk to them anyways. Yeah. Now we're getting into DM advice, but talk to them anyway so you can so you can build a story together instead of present them with your grand masterpiece. Yeah. It's more yeah, fun. Exactly. It's, it's a collaborative it's storytelling like, game. You know, do you hide from your players that you're going to run Storm King's Thunder before they start or do you say, "Hey, we're going to play Storm King's Thunder" and then people make you know, we're going to fight a bunch of giants sort of type decisions when they build their characters, not just mechanically, but also thematically. Mm-hmm. It's the same deal with a ranger. And, and, you know, some people complain that you shouldn't have to do that with a class. Well, I mean, you know, you do it with every character to some extent. The ranger is the one that really capitalize on it in a, in a mechanical way. <clears throat> so I understand why some people don't care for it, but mm-hmm. you know, oh, well, there it is. It is. Metagaming gets a bad rap, but there's nothing wrong with metagaming when you're trying to create your character and, and get a backstory that that connects you to the game. I mean, that's part of the process. A, a massive part of the game, a, a massive part of building our characters is all metagaming. You know, who's is, is, somebody, exactly. is somebody going to play a rogue? Are we going to have right. a cleric who's going to be a healer? How are we going to mm-hmm. tactically set this up? Oh, you're taking that feat? Okay, I won't take that. I'll take this feat. That is all metagame. Mm-hmm. And there's people, a degree. There's a degree. Use it as a shorthand for cheating, and mm-hmm. you know that's bad. Yeah. of course. but that's the, not all metagaming. I, I feel like there's a difference between metagaming at the table and metagaming in your character generation. Um, and certainly, there's a level of metagaming in character generation that isn't as fun story-wise. But that doesn't mean all metagaming is inappropriate. Right. character generation because that helps you craft a better story which is the whole exactly. point yep so anyway okay so so i think we've got some good ideas there both mechanically and and in terms of role playing and and insp- places of inspiration any last thoughts I, on the ranger you want to share Sam can does. i can i add one thing to that to that metagaming uh thing and and talk not just talking to your dm but talking to the other players and oh, absolutely. you know there's a there's a thing about uh you know if you want to play a character that has a secret or was a loner and is now coming back to join a group to right some wrong or something like that uh you can tell the the players your your co your peers at the table tell them what your character's secret is mm-hmm. but then tell them their character doesn't know it and role play it you know if your secret is that your your father was the king who was deposed or murdered or whatever mm-hmm. then your character's hiding that but your the player doesn't have to hide it and watch that unravel at the table as the other char- as the other players play their characters not knowing that, but they themselves know it. If you've got a group of players that will play that with you, you can make a somewhat lonery type right. ranger character. Right. 
yeah. I'll, I'll suggest another approach to that because uh, I think that there are legitimate gameplay approaches where you want to play your cards close to your chest, and that's mm-hmm. okay because getting actual shock out of the players, the other players, can be fun. Mm-hmm. But if you want to do that, you need to ante up and really invest in their stories. Yes. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. yep. Yeah. I yeah. Mean. It's a give and take. It's not just I'm going to play the awesome ranger. Every, all of you are my lackeys now. I have right. a secret, but you got to pretend like I don't have one or whatever. Exactly. Like it's all about give and take. If you have something about your character, you know, it's it's something they do great in Thirteenth Age, right? Everybody, every character has that one that one unique thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can do that in D and D too. Not not quite as prescribed as it is in Thirteenth Age, but each character can have something that that they have that is special about them that has nothing to do with mechanics mm-hmm. but is all about theme and and the ranger is really ripe for that because the ranger is actually a very versatile class oh yeah so you could go so many different directions with it you could have more than one ranger in a party and they would be completely different types of characters again with lord of the rings uh aragorn legolas and faramir are definitely rangers mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, other last thoughts? Uh, so I want to jump back to the uh, Tome of Beasts question because I've got an answer for you. <laughs> the, uh, All the, right. What is, what, is the, what is the best beast map? So there's, beast there's only uh, a handful uh, of companionable beasts. There's the Garotter Crab, the Swamp Adder, the Red Banded Line Spider, and the Suture Fly. And, and, and which one of those did you design? Uh, I actually designed none of these. Oh, these are, none okay. of these are mine. Okay. No. Uh, I would have thought you would have I thought would have thought you would have Oh, sorry, what? I, was, I, say, I would have thought you would have tried to sneak one uh, super ultra companion beast in, in no, the Tome of Beasts. No, for not your at use. all. No. <laughs> now I know what I'm going to have to write and propose to the Tome of Beasts, too. There, there you go. go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. The Suture Fly. So the Suture Fly is like a. Um, it's like a cat-sized dragonfly with all kinds of nasty little barbs and colorful wings, but they detect they are kind of uh, they have a seed of divinity in them even though they're beasts and they hate blasphemy. And so when people, you know, blaspheme out loud, uh, the 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 suture fly can hear that out to a pretty decent range and then it wants to go chase them down and sew their mouth shut so they don't do it again. <laughs> <laughs> and they're called suture flies because that's their attack. They basically use this their their barbed tail and this this uh, almost like a silk that they create to to sew orifice shut. <laughs> that would be great for enemy casters. And it is. It is the the garotter crab. Uh, it's it's a tiny little crab that that clamps onto people's throats and cuts off their ability to speak and breathe. Yeah. There's some good stuff hiding in there. Uh-huh. All right. All right. Very good. All right. Other last thoughts? Um, be careful with your spell selection. There's there's, uh, there's yeah. a lot of great ones in Ranger, but there are definitely some traps, and do not neglect your spells. Uh, they're part of your class. They're part of 5th Edition's Ranger class design. If you ignore them, you will weaken yourself significantly. Tell us a couple traps so we don't get caught. Uh, I am not a fan of Hail of Thorns. Um, or yep. uh, with Hunter's Mark because of concentration. Yep, Cordon of Arrows, uh, Lightning Arrow. Basically, any of the ones that cut into concentration. If you're a hunter, you're going to be. You're probably going to want to cast Hunter's Mark, which I feel like that's a little bit of a problem. But whatever, there it is. Um, if you're a Beastmaster, do not take Hunter's Mark. 
uh, unless you're using your beast solely as a mount, like a Pteranodon or a Vulture. Um, if you're using your beast to attack, it does not get your Hunter's Mark. Don't waste your concentration. There are other great spells. Um, they get two of the very best spells in the game. They get Pass Without Trace, that gives your entire party plus 10 to stealth. Mm-hmm. Take it. Your assassin will love you forever. Yeah. It'll surprise everybody. It'll be great. My party um, uses it all the time and, and completely it's amazing. kicks my butt. It's amazing. Pass Without Trace is one of the greatest spells in the game. It yeah. is. It is, absolutely. Uh, and they also get uh, Conjure Animals, which is uh, another one of the best spells in the game. Amazing. All right. So there you go. Yep. That's how you play a ranger. Uh, so unless there's any other last things... I'm going to go ahead and call this the end of the episode. All right. All right. Well, we would like to send a huge thank you out to Noble Knight Games, where Out of Print is available again, uh, our wonderful uh, corporate sponsor this uh, episode. And also, we would like to thank our guests. Brandis, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me at brandisstoddard.com, B-R-A-N-D-E-S-S-T-O-D-D-A-R-D.com. And tribality.com. Now, uh, Brandis, you uh, recently released a, uh, a a little project that you wrote up, right, uh, having to do with the Rangers? Uh, yes. Uh, By Flame, Storm, and Thorn is a collection of Ranger archetypes. Uh, it includes the Lantern Bearer, the Storm Cloak, and the Thorn Guard. All right, very good. And that is on DriveThruRPG. We can put a link to that in the show notes. Thank you so much. Check that out, people. I love the Lantern Bears. Nice. And speaking of our other guest, Dan Dillon, where can we find you on the internet, sir? Sure. Um, So I'm a pretty uh, decent-sized presence on Facebook at the previously mentioned Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition Facebook group. We're uh, well over 100,000 members now, I think uh, over 115 thousand at this point and they're um, all arguing about the beast and they're master. absolutely all arguing about the beast master <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, i asked so it, i asked earlier when you were late for the beginning of the recording uh what your punishment should be and brenda suggested that you'd be forced to moderate that that facebook group for for the rest of eternity uh, i mean we're we're already three steps along the path so so, so all right <laughs> yeah no I, i'm a moderator there um we we love talking about D, so jump on facebook find us there and ask whatever questions you have we'll be happy to chat uh and then i'm uh, on twitter at dan underscore dylan underscore one i am also on twitter uh at brenda stoddard Yep, there you go. Brandis is B-R-A-N-D-E-S for people who want to be able to spell him. Yes. And we want to thank all of you, our listeners, for supporting the show by shopping from our affiliate links where you can use Amazon.com or the DMs Guild. Uh, And uh, if you are a patron of ours at Patreon.com slash The Tome Show, we want to send a big thank you out to you as well. And if you want to get a hold of us, you can email thetomeshow at gmail.com or call the biz line at 919-BizTome. You can reach Sam on Twitter. He is at DM Samuel. You can reach me on Twitter. I am at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H. And you can reach the show at The Tome Show, which is also kind of me. and that is episode 296 where we answered the call of the wild in this episode of You don't dress up to play D&D You don't dress up to play D&D You don't dress up to play D&D Unless you want to Like me You don't dress up to play D&D You don't dress up to play D&D Unless you want to Like me You don't dress up to play D&D You don't dress up to play D&D Unless you want to Like me You don't dress up to play D&D Unless you want to Like me You don't
D to the R to the A gun S D and D The dungeon messer sets up a scenario Then he or she asks Where would you like to go? We talk as a group Then decide together There's no winning, yo We could play forever Stay right there Let me answer your questions I'll clear up all your misconceptions Stay right there Let me answer your questions I'll clear up all your misconceptions You don't dress up to play D and D You don't dress up to play D and D D&D, you don't dress up to play D&D, you don't dress up to play D&D, unless you want to, like me, you don't dress up to play D&D, you don't dress up to play D&D, you don't dress up to play D&D, unless you want to, like me. I'm on the wall.